Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. And don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now. I talked about it last week a couple of times about going inside the hire of Dan Quinn. Why this team always, always liked him. Now, not saying he was the top candidate all along. I don't know you could say that about anybody, to be honest. And But the point is they liked him all along. He was not just some fallback option for them. And there's one answer he had in their interview that I think that really stood out to them in particular. And also the story also talks about or includes some people who contacted them on his behalf, unprompted. And as I asked one person in there, how much did you hear about him throughout this from other people? And he's they, they always told that, there was significantly more contact about him than any other candidate they had on their list. Anyways, that's up on ESPN.com. Now go get a read in a minute. I'm going to be joined by former Washington Redskin running back slash returner slash special teams, dude slash occasional emergency quarterback, Brian Mitchell. Of course you can hear him on one Oh six, seven with on the B Mitch and JP Finley show. Or um, So give it 10 to two on, on weekdays, give him a listen but I want to talk to B. Mitch about a couple different things. You got the combine starting up this week. So his memories from the 1990 combine, what still irks him to this day, but also just you can go inside the mindset of what takes a guy from a fifth round pick to having a guy who is discussed for the Hall of Fame. He gives some really good insight on how to how he approached a combine. I think you learn something about a guy when you talk and when you listen to how he approached it. Speaking of the Hall of Fame, I talked to him about Devin Hester, who was just recently voted in, and how how can that help Mitchell's candidacy, um, and we'll see where that goes. I do not have a vote in the Hall of Fame, so you know it's not up to me, but I do want to bring up the topic because I think it's important. And also, I want to talk to Brian about his BS meter. He has a really good one, folks, and he's been around the staff a little bit. He knows some of these coaches. So what does he think about what Washington is putting together um, and just what he thinks this portends for them down the road? We don't know how this staff is going to be. We know that it's a good, we considered a good staff right now. What they produce, we'll see. But all we can go on is what we know right now. And of course, they always have to go out and win. Every staff does. But I wanted to talk to Brian about all that stuff. So here we go. Oh, by the way, one other thing. The salary cap information came out, the official number. Washington has approximately 85 million or so in cap space. You have to deduct probably about nine to 10 million of that for their rookie allocation, but that still leaves them in a great, great spot going into the offseason. And they'll have the most salary cap room in the NFL. All very good. Now, I know this team wants to build through the draft and supplement through free agency, but this gives them the ability to go out and get a couple 
I don't, I would hate to say big name signing because it sounds like you're doing it for a splash value. I think they're going to go out and they can have some really smart signings for players who are good, who can help them. So there's a difference like Dan Snyder. It was all about the splash. They did. They got guys that maybe not everybody wanted on the staff, but that would maybe, you know, have that big win the headline in the off seasons type deal. I think they could get some big signings here and some expensive ones, but I think they're going to be of a higher quality or maybe more of a more conducive to success in Washington. Anyways, we'll see what happens, but, but I just want to fill you in on that. And again, the combine week going to have stuff all week for you because I will not be there, but I will be talking to people who are. And obviously, you know, there's a lot going on with that. Dan Quinn and Adam Peters will speak at the combine on Tuesday. We have more on that throughout the week. So I'll be back on Tuesday with another episode, but, before we get there, here's my conversation with B. Mitch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. B. Mitch, so they have the combine coming up starting. This is going to air Monday. And I know you were talking a little bit about this on your show with JP uh-huh. about your experience at the 1990 combine. And it sounds like it still kind of tweaks you a little bit what some teams said to you. Like if you could go back on the field now, you probably still want to run through the Steelers like it was your last game ever. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, I've always uh, had a tendency to use things to motivate me. Really? And um, when I was told that, you know, you just always seem to be moving forward. I'm like, what's wrong with that? You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, other coaches that said, I mean, other, other scouts that, who said, we're going to draft you in this round, that round, they didn't. You know, that's why the Steelers, the Saints, the Cardinals, you go look at my, my uh, times against them, I had some good games because I just felt like I was at a smaller school. I was moving my position. And I wasn't given the respect as a football player. You know, I didn't just go down in a small school and just uh, sit in the pocket and have a great offensive line. You know, my guys worked their butts off and I ran the ball. I threw the ball. And I thought I was very, very uh, durable. Uh, but I don't think you have to dance. I don't even dance in clubs. Why am I dance on a football field? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, like, that's the last thing you ever did. But that's what it was always your strength, though. That's why it's, yeah. I think it's funny because as a returner, it was, you know, you cut. And you're going forward and you're getting yeah. yards because of it. But, you know, I think like like when you – if you really sit back, John, and think about it, the NFL has come up or certain people in the NFL has developed a mindset of who they think and what they think every position player should look like or be. Right. I'm not prototypical return man. You know, I was 5'10 and a half and my play at 221 was my best years in the league. That's the fullback, basically. You know, most returners are 180, 185, 
you know, five, nine to six feet, whatever, but they weren't built like me. And I think that's the reason I was able to play 14 years and miss only one football game. You know, I think they have to learn now that the quarterback doesn't come six, six <laughs> anymore all the time. Right. The running back is not going to always be the exact same size. The offensive lineman may be a little bigger, a, a little more athletic or whatever, but people change over time. And this game is going to grow based off of the athletes, not necessarily someone's mindset. Absolutely. And the funny thing is you say 14 years missed one game. It wasn't just as a returner, as we, as we all know, like mm -hmm. that's what the amazing part of it was too. But when you, I want to, I'm going to get to that in a minute too, with the hall of fame and all that, but with the combine, how much stock do you put in that as an ex-player or someone now who's an observer? How much stock do you put into what goes on there and what things matter to you coming out of there? Well, I think um, for me, I, I I didn't I didn't think it was the end-all, be-all, and I still don't think it's the end-all, be-all, but I understand the reason, the reasoning behind why they do it. You get everybody in a control situation where they are controlling everything. But as a player – you have to be able to, you know, understand that now you get a chance to be shoulder to shoulder, side by side with someone that might have gone to Notre Dame. I was there with Tony Rice, mm. okay? And everything Tony did, I made sure I was right next to him. You know, when Tony ran about a 4.7, 4.8, and I went 4.4 something, okay, cool, I'm better than that. When he had his jump and then his, his, his uh, shuttle drill, I made sure I was right behind him. You know, I think that's the things where – you, you find a way where now I'm no longer playing in Southwest Louisiana at the Swamp, which our stadium was called, with no TV around. I'm now side by side with you. And if they're looking at you as the best, then I shatter what you're doing, then I'm going to make them look at me again. So I, I, I understood it. I didn't like a lot of it, you know, especially the part standing there, some damn boxes on the stage where all these people just looking at you. Like, I don't understand that aspect at all. You know, everybody don't look the same. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's 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 weird, but I understand what they're doing. And it was cool for me because I went as a quarterback. Think about that. And so I knew I wasn't going to play quarterback, but I wanted to go as a quarterback because I'm going to have numbers that going to make me look better than the other quarterbacks. And then they can still see I could possibly throw a football, which I ended up being an emergency quarterback for 14 years. So. Yeah. You know, and it helped me. It helped me. I think that kept me around. Some as Coach Gibbs said, the more you can do, the longer you can play. Did you do more than one rep on two twenty five than Smoot did? I didn't even do the bench press at the combine. Really, they didn't, they didn't make us do it. I did the bench press when they finally came down to my school, and I I, I did easily. I did nineteen. I think I could have done more, but I racked it. I say, did any other quarterback do this? I say, how about running backs? <laughs> like, and I racked it. And they're like, you could have done more? Yes, I could have done more. But the thing about it, like, like they didn't know that I power clean over 350 pounds. They didn't know that I squatted over 600 pounds. They didn't know I bench over 400 pounds as a 198-pound quarterback. They just say, this is a kid coming from southwest Louisiana, and uh, he might get it. But they didn't understand what I had right here. So, you know? but I was, But I was going to say, like, everything you've told me, if you're paying attention – you're going to pick up on the fact that, hey, this guy's always following this guy. This guy's competitive. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm -hmm. the stuff that that I would measure. You know, it's funny because, like, you, I was talking to someone about this earlier today about the things, the little things you look for at a pro day at a at the combine. It's mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like, that's how you learn about a guy, right? Yeah. 
And, and see, that is why, like, my, my dad always told me, find the people that, ev- that, that everybody is, uh, you know, clamoring over and things like that and do everything that they do. So when I got to Washington, I would watch Ernest Biner and Daryl Green, and I would watch them after practice. And I didn't want to bother them, so I would go to the other field and do what they were doing. <laughs> you know, Coach Gibbs one day told me, say, I, I see you over there. I see what's going on here. So you you can't learn, like like today in, the, in this day and age, where you watch it, the league is no longer that the most experienced guy, the guy that comes from that, got that great story, becomes the leader, becomes the captain. It's the first rounders. It's the guys that make the most money, you know? So when I got here, I wanted to be around the guys that they went crazy over. I wanted to talk to Monty Coleman because I, they said he was like double-digit round pick. But, hell, he was the best cover linebacker on that football team. You know, so I just think that I, the way I was raised by a military dad made me understand some different things. And, like, I remember when I got here, guys would always say, oh, man, you went to what school? What is that? So I said, wait till we get on the field. I'll show you. Because it's co- competition is competition. You know? That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I want. The more I'm around it, like, the number one thing I want is a guy who's going to compete, first and foremost. Yeah. Because the other, you know what I mean? Like, if you have, if you're going to separate, I want someone who's going to compete because that's what this league is about, right? Exactly. What, so one of the things, too, is recently Devin Hester gets to the Hall of Fame. And, mm-hmm. you know, as anybody listening to this would say, like, you should be there, too. Mm-hmm. I would agree with them. But how much do you think him getting in can now help your cause? You know, I think it can because it, it takes one person to do it first and then they can start looking at others. Um, actually I was at the Super Bowl and I went to an event and James Lofton unsolicited said, he say, get ready. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, Hey, he's in now. You'll get in too. And I don't know how true it is, but Tim Brown told me the same thing. I had other guys saying it to me. So at least hearing that stuff, it makes you feel like that is a better chance. But the ultimate thing is, you know, it shouldn't just be one. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it, it, everybody do things differently. And I always use this example, like they talk about the elusiveness and this, that, and the other. Well, Jerome Bettis wasn't like Barry Sanders. Right. So, so you basically look at Devin S. Barry Sanders and I'm, I'm Jerome Bettis. You know what I'm saying? We yeah. still got the job done. That's all that matters. Well, and I also, how much do you think it should be? Because I don't have a vote. And I told you, like, if, if mm-hmm. I'm on that committee, like, you got my vote because I watched you. But how much do you, you know, the fact that you were, because I remember when you got cut, I remember even writing this, like they're going to take four, they, they're going to need four or five guys to replace you. How <laughs> yeah. much, because I know like they look at it as a return person, but don't, do you kind of want to say, listen, I was more than that. And that should strengthen my case. Well, John, when I was asked what I considered myself coming out of college, I said a football player. And I still believe I was a football yeah, player because I played running back. I played fullback. I played kick return. I played part return. I was a quarterback. I would line up in wide out. I would line up in the slot. Uh, I was a guy back deep when it was a field goal, if it was a long one, playing the safety position. Uh, I covered kicks and punts. Uh, I was also the, the second straight holder. So that's a football player. Right. You know, a guy who did everything. So I just think that when we start looking at this game of football, it has gotten to a point where people think only pass rushers, quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, cornerbacks, and maybe every once in a while they'll throw offensive linemen in there. That's the only people. But there are other people out there. And if you're the best of the best in your position, okay, why shouldn't you 
being a Hall of Fame. Because I will say this. As much as I love Joe Montana, he couldn't return a punt. I bet you that. No. I love Jerry Rice. He would have done what I did. You know, as much as I love a lot of these other guys, they would not have been able to do the decision-making and the things as consistently as I did and as long as I did. So, you know, we can sit up here and act like that's not a position. And, a lot of, and I think a lot of people sometimes um, don't listen to what coaches say. Coaches say three phases all the time. I played in a, a football game in the playoffs against uh, John Gruden and, a, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They kicked the first one. I went 75, and they squib kicked the rest of the day. At the end of the game, you say he was worried about one person, Brian Mitchell. So if a coach is going to be in a playoff game worried about that return guy, that return guy is kind of special. Well, yeah, and it's impact on the game. And when you again, I think like to me, it's a mindset, and that's I want guys who have that mindset that want to mm-hmm. play do all that stuff who are quote unquote football players, because mm-hmm. to me, like, that's how you feel. You win with, you win with guys like that. So, yeah. you know, like that, that's how I, you know, I, again, I don't think you can build a good football team without a tough, smart guys and guys who can fill yeah. multiple roles. But and, see that, and but like, like I, as a football player, when the defense was on the field, I ran the plays against the defense. So I knew when they had a trick play, I knew the formation. So I would sit there and Richie Pettibone, uh, I would talk, even Jim Johnson when I was in Philly, he would say, hey, if you see something, let me know. I didn't just sit on the sidelines. So I was I was a guy who did a lot of things because I started off football. I was a I was a center and a defensive end in the sixth grade. Seventh grade, they moved me to running back. I don't know why. <laughs> then in the uh, I go to eighth grade, the coach said, hey, you're the best athlete on the team. And he moved me to quarterback. And I played quarterback the rest of the time. Then I get to the NFL and I get the chance to play everything. You know, so it's it's whenever – and I'm the type of person where if I can help the team, I'm going to help the team, whether it's me going out there using my physical abilities or being able to watch something based off of what I saw, what, I, what I've seen in practice. But you got to love the game to do it like that. And, yeah. you know, so how many guys do you think on a roster – truly loved it the way you did i don't know how many i i would say it's far like you got 53 guys on the roster and i would say it was far less than 10 that loved it like that guys may have loved it enough to do their job and all the focus on their sure. job but you know i've all like you may have heard me say it on the radio it's a first job mentality okay they asked me to be come here and be a return man and after i got to a point or a level where i felt i was secure enough at that then i wanted to learn everything else and also help other positions because if I start doing all the other stuff and I'm not doing my job good, they have the right to say, hey, you're not good at your job. Why are you doing all this other stuff? Sure. Well, they understood that because I remember Coach Gibbs was asking me, you know, about some plays. And I said, well, I already got all that, Coach. He said, what do you mean? I said, I learned the whole playbook. He said, why? I said, because that's what I do. I'm a quarterback, you know, because I didn't get here and just look at the returns and the running back position. I looked at everything that the quarterback would look at. And it made that's why it made the game come so so much easier for me, being a quarterback to where I had to know who the alignment had to block. I had to know what type of defense they were in. So as a running back, I now can I can sit up here and kind of determine what's going to happen here. If I set this tackle up, he's going to try to jump outside. My guy will block. I have a cutback lane. Mm-hmm. You know, get the linebacker flowing. So the game came a little different because of me being. Uh, quarterback. Then when I moved back to the return position, it was just me still being a quarterback further back where I could see everything out in front of me a little better. 
And the other thing I always admire about you, you have a really good BS meter. And <laughs> I think that has served you well over the years. And so I'm curious, your initial impressions of this new staff. We were out there the other day talking to the mm -hmm. assistant coaches. I know you, know, you ran into Ken Norton. And, you know, yeah. but I'm curious, like what your long way to go. We've got to see what happens in the season, et cetera. Yeah. But what's your, what are your early impressions of what's My early going impressions on? is I, I'm impressed because, um, you know, when, when everybody was like clamoring for Ben Johnson, I kept saying, why is he the guy? You know, yes, he had done some stuff for a few years, but when you become a head coach now, you have to have some level of uh, knowledge and knowing people. So all of a sudden, Dan Quinn becomes the guy. Uh, everyone thought that uh, Kingsbury was going to uh, Oakland. He backed mm -hmm. out of that deal. He came here. Uh, you look at Lynn. He's a former head coach. Good. Okay. Uh, Jason Simmons, I heard that they were asking for, asked for him to try and talk to him at first, but all of a sudden, Jason is here. Jason is the, the pass game coordinator on defense. I, a good friend of mine. You know, you Ken, Ken. Ken was damn good as a player, and he's been very good as a coach as well. So when you start going around that whole little deal, you see guys with experience. Yeah. And on top of it, they don't expect one guy to do everything. They got a defensive coordinator, but then they have a defensive run game guy and a defensive pass game guy. They have the offensive, and they do the same thing. But look at the offense, okay? You look at the offense, you have Kingsbury. You have Brian Johnson, and then you have Lynn. That's basically coordinator, coordinator, coordinator two former head coaches right. that are running your offense now. So you you and, and like they said, they got people from different backgrounds, different offenses, different defenses, to where now it's not me trying to learn something. I can now bounce it off of this guy who knows right how to run another one and how to attack a certain defense that we may be seeing. So I'm very impressed. And I remember talking to um Adam Peters when I was at the Super Bowl. I went to one of the commanders' events, and I said, Man, y'all getting a lot of coaches. He said, Man, that's Dan Quinn. They're coming because of him. And when you hear them discuss leader of men, well, it's something good about this. Man, yes, the NFL, I know, is only 32 jobs in those positions. But ultimately, when people want to work for somebody, that guy has something special about him. And, you know, and I heard that, too. Like, he had guys coming up to him at the Senior Bowl. Now, that always happens. But yeah. a lot of guys were coming up that that just, I think it blew him away how many people were coming up to them about him. But, you know, Listen, like, the other thing I, is I'm not on the coaching staff <laughs> and you know how many people have called me that had jobs that wanted to leave the job to come here and, and say, hey, man, if you put in a word for me, I'm like, dude, I don't have any connection with these guys. So it was people with jobs trying to come here. And, you know, it's yeah. And I, you know, again, it's what you heard throughout this process. Why I kept saying yes. like he's at or near the top the entire time on their list. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so, you know, the atmosphere out there. Every time there's a new staff, there's a new energy or, or vibe. Mm -hmm. Did it feel, we've both been around. To me, it felt different with this one. It felt exciting, but it also felt like we have a bunch of adults around. And it, seem, it seems so much more real now that it's not the games of Vinny. It's not the games of uh, Bruce. It's now where you got a legitimate guy who's a young and up-and-coming guy running this ship, this ship. You also have a situation to where I've watched it closely. Every time Harris and his crew 
or in around anybody, they are uncomfortable trying to do everything. They want to push the guy who they want to run this football program out. We've never really seen that. You know what I'm saying? We always saw somebody else like, you know, as uh, Suge Knight said, Puffy all up in all all his uh, guys' videos. We always had Dan or one of those GMs trying to run the show all the time instead of letting the people run the show who should be running it. So that feels different to me. But I understand, too. I understand that we have to wait and see how this thing goes. But the thing I also feel is that we always were winning the offseason. And in a sense, there are people in this town who think we lost the offseason because Ben Johnson went back where he was going. And for me, being here for so many years watching us win the offseason and then stink in the regular season kind of makes me feel like the tide is changing. We didn't win the offseason to some people's mind. I think we did, though, because they did stuff the right way. And now I feel, well, since they didn't think we won it, then we, we may win the season then. So I am I understand it's going to take some time, but I'm willing to give them the time. And I'm on the radio daily, and I hear people talk. And I have now sensed that people want to give them that, t- that level of, of respect, but they can't get out of thinking that the old regime is still intact. Oh, that's definitely a part of it too. I and I and I I don't blame people. Like they've had they have some PTSD from that. I understand. Years. But when you to to start to receive things differently, you got to change the way you think. And I think that for some way they're gonna have to at least give them a chance. You know, don't already blame. Like I would hear things happening in the all season, and they would talk. Oh yeah, this is the same. It's not the same people. No, believe me. Uh, and having one conversation with whether Josh or Mark or Mitchell or Magic, you will know this is not the same uh, group that's running. It's extremely thing. different. Again, it's very different from what I've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I had an agent the other day. I was talking to him about one of their clients who is here and started referencing how they did it in the past. He said, no. I said, it's not like you can't do that anymore. It's not this. Like yeah. I was surprised he actually was doing that because I'm like, it's not the same group. It's, you know, you can't look at like what happened before because none of those, those people aren't here. I mean, yeah. no, it was yeah. just, it's very different. And, you know, I also, and I think I said it on your show the other day that to me, the best thing you saw this off season was at the dais at the table with, for Dan Quinn's presser was Harris, Peters and Quinn. Like mm-hmm. we haven't seen a setup like that yeah. in forever been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. And everything is about the betterment of this football team. It is. It's not and- about any jokes. Well, horrible jokes. It's not about the individuals. It's about what we are here to do to make take this franchise back to where it was. And, you know, I, I when I hear people talking like that, I have the I have to back up and give them that their, their freedom to go out and do your stuff. Now, if we're two, three, three, three years down the road, things haven't changed, I have the right to say something. You know, we two years down the road, we got the right to say something. But right now, I think it's best to support and try to help out and let them – because just like I said, when they get a quarterback, they have to get full support yeah. from, this, uh, from the franchise. So as long as we're sitting here and we got this franchise coming up and we, we all went crazy when Josh, in the, Josh and his crew bought the team. We lost our mind when Adam was hired. And then ever since then, we've questioned everything that they've done. Well, that's what I found funny is that 
Oh, I love what Josh Harrison. Oh, I love Adam Peters. Like, Oh, how could you hire? <laughs> but to me, like, I agree with you. Like this coaching staff is a reflection of Dan Quinn totally. and we don't know what they're going to do during the season, but this is a, they are set up to be able, if they can get that success to be able to sustain it long-term better than they have in yeah. a long time. And, and, and that's, that's the thing about it, uh, John, you, you have to have things in the right position. When I first got here, and then once, uh, once, once Dan purchased his team, I always talked about the chain of command. I grew up in a military household. Okay, you don't hear any privates going straight to the general, right? <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. Everybody knows what that step is. And I think when I got into pro football, people was like always talking, "Oh yeah, man, you got to have the coach." But I talked to Coach Bro when I first got here. You know, and then Coach Bro would go over and talk to Rod Dahauer, and Dahauer would talk to Coach Gibbs. Now, if I did something wrong, Coach Gibbs would come straight to me. But when I was dealing with stuff, I had to know, I talked to my position coach. Right. The same way it was in high school and, and college. And when I was in high school and college, I was a quarterback, which means I can go and talk to the head coach a lot quicker than anybody, anybody else on the team. But then my players decided, okay, well, Brian says you got the direct line to coach. They will come to me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Did you talk to your coach yet? Because <laughs> I understood that. Because once that gets broken, you got a problem. When guys were able to go to Dan or Vinny around their position coaches and Coach Gibbs and other coaches, that was a problem. It was a problem. Yeah. La last thing then, it's all quarterback right now going going forward for a couple months. You got an early leader in that race for yourself? For me, I think, like, we talk about it on the radio all day. We think Caleb Williams is going to be drafted by the Bears. Yeah. Had Brad Biggs on, on the show – uh, and he had discussed it about, you know, hey, a lot of people feel that Fields hadn't done enough playing on the field to really just solidify a job. Well, if Caleb Williams is supposed to be his next best thing, Chicago not letting him go. Right. Okay. Unless somebody come and offer the, the dumbest thing they could. And then after that, I know we talk a lot about, um, you know, May and things like that, but I, I'm, I'm on Daniels. The reason is because this game of football now has played a lot faster. Okay, and the guy that can create and the guy that can prolong, that guy gives you a better chance. And I know a lot of people say, well, when he get hit, look like he's being killed. Well, <laughs> he took some hits. I saw that. But it's the thing I'm, I'm still amazed by, he got up every time. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think back, and I want everybody to understand this. Pat Mahomes is amazing right now. He is the best. He could probably be the, end up being the best ever. But when he was being drafted, nine teams for sure passed on him. Yeah. Okay. Andy Reid picked him. And you know what all of the pundits were saying? He does nothing on schedule. He has all these arm things. He he takes a sack. He, he, he tries to do too much. He wrote ball. What is everybody trying to do right now? Find, Find Pat Mahomes. So the closest thing I saw to Pat Mahomes on the football field this year just passed in college was Jaden Daniels. And, you know, and I know that Caleb did it the year before, but he fell off some last year. Why? I don't know. Could have been his team, whatever. But Jaden Daniels was, and the people about him, this should piss him off. People say he just got better every year. Well, what the hell you want him to do? <laughs> That's, I, listen, like, there's a, I, I try to find something I like about all these guys that you can build on, something that you're mm -hmm. going to be concerned about. But even yeah. with the running, and I'm a big believer, like, it's going to be hard to survive that way in the NFL. But yeah. to your point, I love the competitiveness that leads to it. 
And I love that the fact that he gets up and I was talking to Logan Paulson about this earlier today, like he's also very pliable. So like, he's not getting hurt on there. Like, cause he's got this yeah. flexibility to him when he gets hit that it's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, Ooh, but it, but it, <laughs> but it's, you know, but he gets up. And so there's That's a it. lot to like about, about him in particular. I think there's stuff to like about may and you're gonna have to boil yes. it down to who you like best. And it's probably yeah. going to go back and forth, but there is a lot to like. And like I said, I mean, that to me is that competitiveness that you always look for. And if they listen, as London Fletcher stated, whoever they pick, I'm going to give them full support. Because if I'm sitting up there saying that they, this this person needs support, and when he gets picked, if I don't give him support, then I'm being a hypocrite. So right. uh, I think either of the three, okay? Yeah. Either of the three, I, I'm willing to see what they can do with it because I believe this team that we have now, this coaching team, we call it coaching staff, one thing that they've done, if you look at the history of a lot of these guys, they get the best out of their players. Yes. And if we can just start getting that out of our players moving forward, that'll make us a better franchise, better football team. You know, it's funny because I'm glad you said that because the other day on the podcast, I did say, like, I think this team is set up to develop a quarterback. And so yeah, yeah. I like I so whoever comes here, I think they have a good chance to develop, whether it's yeah. May, whether it's whether it's Daniels, whomever. I think this staff has a good chance to develop them and I think they'll be OK. So be Mitch. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you, Jay. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Brian for joining me. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'll be back on Tuesday morning with another episode. So I'll talk to you next time.